Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everyone. It's me, the Grill Economist. We have with us the man of the hour who needs no introduction whatsoever. It is the one and only Matthew Errett. You can find Matthew over at CanadianPatriot.org, CanadianPatriot.org, as well as the RisingTideFoundation.net, RisingTideFoundation.net. Make sure you get it, the three volumes of his perennial work, his magnum opus on the history of the United States, the open source system that was envisioned by the Founding Fathers. This way you get a grasp of where we were, where we are today, and where the heck we're headed. And with that being said, Matthew, how are you, buddy? Hey, V. Hey, CJ. I'm doing good. And uh, I didn't know exactly what I was going to start with in my remarks today. Um, I was going to start with Pride Month. You're so, I, I figured you might want to. <laughs> Uh, I'm scared of monkeypox. Let's, let's maybe work our way into monkeypox later on. Let's, yeah, let's, let's see if we can bridge that in. And fold it in. <laughs> but, but, but on the issue of, of open systems really caught my mind because I, I this morning and last night, I was just reading a few speeches, some from the World Economic Forum, some from saner venues like the Eurasian Economic Forum uh, that happened around the same time last week. Um, the Eurasian Economic Forum being the same breath of fresh air counterpoint to the dark age faction running the world uh who met in in morocco uh about a week ago um the davos crowd is what i'm referring to yeah um but soros said something pretty pretty interesting did you guys see his uh his speech no i missed that soros speech georgi schwartz the evil pal- paladrome himself i missed it what did yeah. he say it confuses people because um they know that my like my books, one of the books is called uh, Open Versus so- Closed Systems Collide, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm obviously um, trying to use this device of helping p- people think about the American system as it was expressed by Ben Franklin, by Hamilton, by Lincoln, sure. by FDR, by JFK, as an open system which has been under attack um, by this dark age um, oligarchy, the, this this faction that wants to keep human beings in, in this fixed, const- like, tiny little box that they can then make smaller and smaller as part of their obsession for controlling everything. And, and population growth being one of the many variables that they want to uh, basically wipe out. And, uh, and, and so somebody wrote to me saying, oh, aren't you, what's the difference between what you're saying about open systems being good and what Soros is saying about open societies? Because it sound they were confused, um, and you know Soros in the speech, he basically it's absurd. He he you know does his usual thing, warning about the rise the new age of authoritarian governments, these closed right. closed society governments as he calls it. Celebrates his own open society uh, worldview, which he says is under attack in our current age. It's under threat, and then he says you know based on being an open society liberal that he is, he says you know well. Um, the only way forward in Ukraine is to have total victory and defeat militarily. Uh, well, he doesn't say military, but he's, he says total defeat of Putin, of Russia. <laughs> Putin is incapable of negotiating. He's incapable of honesty. And so all we can do is destroy him in order to stop World War Three, because Putin has just started or catalyzed the danger of World War Three. So to stop World War Three, we need to destroy Russia and have World War Three, which you know, oh, that may, that, that, that only be, makes um, sense. Yeah, yeah brain-damaged academic, like the morons who follow Soros. People don't realize, Matt, and I, I think we need to remind people. Folks, we're in the mess we're in today. When Russia went in militarily and started wiping the floor with the Ukra-Nazis, okay, which led to the 2014 Minsk agreements where they had a ceasefire. And what, did, what was the whole takeaway from 2014 to 2022? How many years was that? 
And every single year you had the Russians saying, hey, look, we're trying to negotiate with you guys. You guys don't want to play nice. You guys keep breaking agreements. You guys keep going back, and you're absolutely treacherous in everything you do. You're outright liars. You're evil, sadistic, stupid liars. And and here we are. And here we are. And And, and and now now it's seeming like, Matt, that Russia is going to get rid of the government that is in Kiev. Zelensky is not he's a he 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 is a person non grata at this point. The Russians have nothing to do with it. Now all of a sudden the Pentagon and Western leaders are like, hey, let's negotiate. And it's crickets on the other end of the phone with Russia. They're not having it. Yeah. I mean, well, you you heard the Azovs just this week as well. They they made the announcement that uh they got rid of their wolf's angle, hey? Their their official oh, wolf's angle uh yes. Regalia, they, yes. and they they retired it in favor of the the good old fashioned trident. Um, it took them long enough, full full yeah. blown eight years to finally realize that this is bad PR. To, to I, I don't know if they do anything about their their tattoos, but uh, but they finally retired that. And I mean the the level of hypocrisy and insanity in this whole thing. The, the even in Ukraine itself, they have a little bit more sanity than in Europe, where they had the the Ukrainian uh, parliamentarians. They just voted. Um, I think 52% to fire their ombudsman of Ukraine. This woman um, forgot her name, but they, she was basically uh, spreading misinformation about Russian atrocities, Russian rapes of children and all these things. She was spreading that and, and giving Ukraine a bad name because they were like, you know, caught spreading misinfo so much. And they uh, they voted to fire her. Um, that's interesting that that happened. And, you know, it just shows you or it's a reminder that Ukraine is... Um, it's a it's a failed state, but at the same time, there is resistance within even Ukraine, within the western part of Ukraine, even about being caught in the middle of a nu- of nuclear crossfire. And right. not everybody is nuts as these radical cultish uh, neo-Nazi romanticizing fanatics and people like Boletsky, you know, who's uh, a high level Azov controller who was an advisor to um, to the Russian military, uh, the, the Ukrainian military. Um and who who's levied several death threats, not so veiled death threats against the Zelensky, mm-hmm. uh, should he ever choose to have, you know, get weak need and, and choose to negotiate with Russia. So, you know, you have this going on. Meanwhile, in, in in Europe itself, they're flailing about the insanity level is so bloody high. Right. You know, right now they just passed a, a form of sanctioning of Russian oil. It's the sixth one that was just passed. Uh, but with a lot of compromises, the thing's a mess where they want to get rid of, you know, what is it? 90 percent of Russian oil imports, um, everything by sea. And then right afterwards, they want to get rid of oil, even from pipelines by 20, the end of 2022. But, yeah. you know, Hungary wasn't having it. Um, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, they they rely either 100 percent like Hungary does for their oil from Russia or I mean, right. Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Slovakia. Um, I'm missing a few others rely like well over 70%. Yeah. Um, so it's like they had to make all sorts of loopholes and compromises to let people get through. <clears> On the <throat> other hand, you know, it's not like the purchasing of, of products from oil from Russia has stopped in Europe, despite the sanctions. No. Everyone's getting around it just by opening up accounts in what is it? The uh, Gazprom bank, right? Exactly. And they're also like, you know, with the European mor- morons, these circle jerk idiots who are running the West, who are colossal losers, failures and everything that they do and even conceive. What they're doing is they're just creating workarounds for their cronies to make mm-hmm. a profit on a massive arbitrage play. So therefore, the oil is not coming through the pipes, but it is coming through the ships. It will still be brokered. They'll still be sold. But now it's been traded hands at least three or four times where it's no longer, quote unquote, Russian gas because it's three steps removed from Russia. Yeah, yeah. But all that does is create scarcity, creates price hikes, and creates economic destruction and inefficiencies within the market. It's the most stupidest thing in the world. I know. I was just reading an article about uh, how Ukraine had been celebrating how they hadn't been buying Russian oil for all of these last, what is it, six, seven years. But when you actually look at how they've been getting their oil, the source has always been from Russia. It's just that Russia then first sells it to Poland, and then Poland sells it back to Ukraine. And you've got all of these weird, loopy missteps that, I mean, if you're maybe like a, a a regular Joe Schmo, you're not noticing this. But anybody looking at how the system is managed from a system standpoint understands that this is a complete hypocritical fraud. And including like the the, the, the $40 billion of additional um, arms assistance that is going to be provided by the United States. I mean, you've got 
people, a Canadian journalist was just on the front lines uh, interviewing. He's on the Kiev side um, interviewing a bunch of these uh, soldiers from Ukraine. And they're they're coming back, giving endless testimonies, how they're using obsolete, despite all the money that's poured into Ukraine, these these hundreds of billions of dollars at this point. Yeah. Um, and supposedly all of this high tech modern weaponry, they're still using obsolete machine guns against like Russian tanks. They're they're still using crap Soviet style um, munitions. So it's like there's very little of what we are, you know, even even Western idiots who are, you know, celebrating themselves for having, you know, taken the hit at the gas pump and 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 sacrificing your your third meal of the day every week or uh, in order to help. <laughs> stop russian aggression uh, for them i mean where's the money where's the money going if it's not going to what it's to the weapons um yeah. it's obviously it's just graft i mean, I mean what where are we at right now I mean, u.s put uh 40 billion uh the eu pumped another 13 billion like 53 billion that we know of probably yeah. the real numbers are north of 100 bill easy i mean I, how much of that is going to defense contractors and paying off cronies and this that and the other it's remarkable nobody has any sort of real accounting to where this is going Ukraine is just a money laundering smokescreen. And here's the worst part, man. The needless lives, Ukrainian lives in particular, that are lost. Yeah. The damage, the psych. I mean, these guys don't care. God almighty, man. These leaders, they have to go. I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed to call myself a Westerner these days. I'm embarrassed. Well, it's pretty bad when people like, was it Henry Kissinger? becomes the a voice of reason i mean the I guy's know, right? like 99 years old I, I guess you know most people when they when they hit that age they go a little senile for him he's actually coming a little bit moral yeah. uh but he actually <laughs> has been criticized as a putin pawn now because of his remarks at the world economic forum where he basically said the obvious which is that you know you rush ukraine needs to suck up their pride and go and sit down and negotiate and honestly and even be prepared to concede some territory in order to oh, stop yeah. world war three now i mean one could say well, that doesn't mean a lot coming from a freak like Kissinger. He was, you know, <laughs> he burnt the earth to get his new world order for the past 50 years, or he played a, a key role in a lot of the worst manipulations. Um, but it just shows you that there's there's embedded within the oligarchy's own system. They, they, they have an, an ideal state that they have in mind of this dystopic, they might call it utopic, uh, world order of perfect stability. Yeah. And... You know, they, they have maybe certain romantic ideas of what this perfect end of history stability is going to look like. Kissinger, from the earliest time before he, when he was just a nouveau recruitee to uh, the Council on Foreign Relations in the 1950s and the Bilderberger groups, he wrote, you know, a book, his first book called the um, on Metternich and Castlereagh's Congress of Vienna. Mm-hmm. And he makes it very clear this becomes the operating constitution for his entire life, that the greatest point in world history that he models his entire geopolitical life around is the example of the 1815 Congress of Vienna, which he uh, adulates um, because, well, you know, it was a point where finally the age of revolution of Europe, which, you know, these oligarchs associate with chaos and just things like the Napoleonic Wars of 20, 20 years of Napoleonic Wars, it was certainly bad. But that was finally put down and the new age of oligarchies was reinstated. And it was like a several month long orgy filled, booze filled uh, Congress led by British intelligence, Viennese intelligence, the old nobility uh, to reinstate pure controls, top down controls, censors in the books, censors in the schools and the universities. Um, there was a really Orwellian uh, institution that was created and sure, it created like a certain nominal stability for a period. Yeah. But it was a complete attack. It was a, it was a declaration of war against the spirit of freedom, the spirit of creative thought, liberty um, that was not permitted to thrive anywhere in Europe for decades. And, and it resulted in such a um, a pressure cooker, a, a spiritual pressure cooker that it, it made a fertile soil for young young people who were getting abused economically to be radicalized and turned into to, to chaos machines, anarchists by things like the Young Europe movement that was then deployed to just create things like the 1848 you know, uh, anarchistic disasters in, in Germany and France and beyond. Um, so <clears throat> this is all cultivated then to create an, an, in a system, a situation of radicalized domestic terrorists that were all controlled by intelligence agencies. The same type of operation that was deployed to, you know, overthrow Russia um, in 1905 and then in 1907. It, 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 it didn't work, though, in, in America because America was operating on a different system. 
And that system is something Kissinger, Kissinger despises because that system that, that was premised around what is there in the Constitution as a political economy, what Ben Franklin put into motion, is a system that creates not a... Um, uh, um, the, there's no Marxian kind of like law of exploitation where the riches always move to uh, the, 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 the small few elite at the top while the masses get ever more um, enslaved over time. That's like yeah. something which is a consequence of British, like David Ricardo or Adam Smith's or any type of British Malthusian uh, political economist who wants you to worship money. Um, yeah, that, that will be a consequence. They might say unintended, but it is, it is the consequence of total enslavement by a master class under the veneer of liberal um, liberal economic theorizing. That will happen. So Marx was right in his in his evaluation of how this was 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 you know occurring, how this was unfolding to create class struggle problem in Britain, in France, in Germany, all over Europe, um, in Russia. But in America, it wasn't happening. There was a harmony of interests as. You, you know, you have an idea of a win-win situation by by not just fighting over smaller scraps of a, a, a fixed amount of, of uh, pie as a closed system. The American system was open. This is what Soros also doesn't get, um, is that you could make not only a bigger pie by encouraging new inventions, new discoveries, and, and investing, creating an atmosphere, a climate with the government. That's the point of the government, is to create an, a climate which would uh, make it possible or even incentivize genius and, and new new ideas, new discoveries to arise from individuals that could translate into new type of technologies that could overcome the limits to growth. And as the pie becomes bigger and also more vitamin rich, there's everybody benefits. Those at the, at the lower rungs of society pull themselves out of the mud into higher degrees of power of affluence. And those even at the top benefit by, and they make profit by investing in things that are good for the society as a whole. So if you look at today, like we're we're in a situation where Kissinger, he he adores stability as his he worships that, yeah. and now he's realizing that his ivory tower theories of what what would get us to stability, including all of the regime change, the wars, the assassinations, everything, all of the unjust acts along the way. Which is, by the way, anybody who wants to know the the invariant, the universal constant of fascist thinkers, yeah, is that the ends justify the means, right. That's that was pure Kissinger. Everything justifies the means. That was Hitler too, right? The the means are the the means are whatever it takes to get to my idealized utopic, uh, new world order, Fourth Reich. Everything everything that that because that's just. It's going to be a world of peace. I promise. Yeah. But how do you get there? So that's the same thing for Kissinger. Now he realizes that the real world doesn't respond to his ivory tower, uh, abstract model that he and his masters have been operating on. And now we're at a point where the likelihood of an actual engagement utilizing thermonuclear weaponry has increased massively i still don't think it's it's as high as some say but it, it's getting higher and, it, and it's becoming very real yeah um he's now freaking out and that sort of you know he's that has him coming out saying the things he says we will not have a new world order we will not be able to conquer the peoples we will not have new world order make peace with china and russia now Pretty much. Pretty much. And that was that was uh, shocking. And I mean, maybe to a certain degree, he thinks that, you know, by it's like suck up your pride now and try to like win another day, you know, like like, like retreat a little bit now from your your I don't think K Kissinger has become a, uh, an enlightened uh, actual lover of humanity by any measure. But um, but I think it, it's sort of like the same type of battles that we had seen. Um, in in the 1930s between factions of the British oligarchy and yeah. even to a certain degree within their American counterparts um, around whether they will continue on with the Hitler project after Hitler annexed Poland and or invaded Poland and took it over or whether they were going to uh, shift gears, abort that plan and, and live to fight another day. Ultimately, that faction that said, OK, we've gone too far. We're, we're, we're unleashing something that could destroy ourselves, too ended up winning the day they got the nazi king ousted you know they, they set up a little scandal around him wanting to marry a, an american debutante and uh, they finally ousted neville chamberlain as well um and put in somebody who's a little bit more into defending the british empires as, as a source of stability churchill right. um but th their their idea was never to adhere to a new global type of 
system of cooperation. That was never their idea. Their idea was, okay, let's just, we, we screwed up now. Let's pull back and we'll try to fight another day, which is what they did um, over Roosevelt's dead body and many others, JFK. And, and we know that story. So I think, you know, Kissinger represents a little bit more of that real politic, uh, old school mind, right? He's 99. He's capable of accessing points of self-criticism that the modern breed of like 50, 40, 50, 60 year old technocrats are not able to access. Correct. Um, they've just been living in an illusion since the, the collapse of the Soviet, before the collapse of the Soviet Union, they had zero authority to do anything. They had no life experience. Even after the Soviet Union, they had no life experience. They were just, you know, <laughs> lawyers. Um, and, uh, and they've been living under a script for, since 1992, people like, you know, Merkel and, and, uh, not Merkel, uh, uh, well, uh, Vanderlei is who I was thinking, but, uh, any of these, these characters you see being trotted out at Davos or at, uh, you know, at these Eurocrat, uh, summits around NATO, they, they have no, they're only on script mode. It's like a machine that's on autopilot. And, oh, it's uh, terrible, man. You, yeah. you know what was killing me? It's like you know the the European Union had decided to form the Circle Firing Squad. They're about to literally shoot them all themselves. But most importantly, it's this: they think they could bring about their Green New Deal. And the funny thing is, these morons actually think that today, in 2022, that there is nascent talent in the engineering and sciences that is still left in the West that is able to field them these wonderful green technologies that will take them into this green utopia. It's utter BS, man. Yeah, well, that's even what Biden said. I, you know, if he, this morning, or no, uh, what was it a few, it might have been a day ago, he had written a Wall Street Journal op-ed where he said not only um, how he's going to fight inflation by unleashing a green new deal and build back better, this is like his great solution, but he even congratulates himself for having created the the most robust recovery in history, <laughs> guys, said. guys, uh, I'm I'm we we he is he is what we deserve for decades of apathy, decades of of not caring about politics, decades of allowing atrocities to be done in our name. He is exactly what we deserve: a complete geriatric octogenarian moron yes and it's even like people who are younger than him because he is he's not of the kissinger age uh he's maybe what 80 years old um yeah but, he's 80 but yeah but even like people like uh here let me actually show you i i did a little uh i saw this little video today of uh these other green new dealing build back better freaks who are the smartest people in the room we are told do you guys see my screen right now of uh no well there you go here you go there there you is see the, the former imf director there yep Lagarde. the giraffe neck woman giraffe neck woman all right We're so this is a a little like short segment just to give you a sense of this psychopathy hey hey Matt, you, may need to, you may need to oh, shut that? that down for um just a second yep and when you go to do the screen share again there's a little button left uh corner that says enable audio oh is there to oh, share the okay. audio as well totally missed that that's I'm okay yeah it's just a real small that. pop-up to share audio as well oh okay all right uh, see it so okay share uh share screen share screen window thing yep and there's a little box that says share audio oh yeah as well yep you, do you I'm see not it seeing that. I'm actually not seeing that. Let me try this one more time. If okay. it doesn't work, it's not a okay. deal. I can summarize it. All right. Uh, then share screen. Audio. I got it. All right. Cool. So they're and they're just talking about the unintended consequence of printing uh, shit tons of money, which is now resulting in inflation, and how unforeseen this this was. Printing tons of money without increasing the pr the productive powers of labor would result in unbounded inflation who would have thought and just listen to just how they're communicating their thoughts the smartest people in the room i'm gonna vomit go yeah. ahead yeah bring your bucket is this too quiet yeah you, you might be you up. yeah if you can crank up the volume on your end 
Maybe on the player over on your left. Yeah. A little. Pump up the uh, volume. Pump up the volume. Dance. Damn. Other oh, wait. Here we are. Player, player on the left. I got it. Yeah. I got it. I got it. No, that's at oh, max. 100%. It's okay. at max. Oh, well. Okay. It doesn't look like it's going to work out. Here. Did you just hear her say law of unintended consequences? Law of unintended. Look at this dingbat. Look at this woman. Christina Gilge, whatever her name is, right? This. Do you think this woman actually worked? How are you in economics and markets when you've never worked a day in your life? This was beyond me, right? You got guys yeah. who never brokered or traded anything in their entire life. They're, they're economic monetary experts. Yeah. Uh, unintended I'm, consequences. I'm guessing you, you, you couldn't coming. hear her saying that, right? That was not. Yeah, no, no we heard that. I heard that for sure. Yeah, you heard, I heard her it as well. Okay, good. So I'm gonna have, I'm gonna run this thing. It's like a minute. It's worth it. Yeah, do it. These are the dumbest people in the world. I, I literally ah, it, it's incredible, and that's why they're positioned in the positions of power that they're in. Um, I, I it's just it, it it boggles my mind that I I, I don't doubt that she is genuine. She, it, she would probably pass a lie detector test if she was asked to like say if what she just if she believes in the, those words she just said. Oh, of course, um, she's really quite dumb. Yes, and. You know, again, with all of their 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 years getting PhDs in economics and, and working their way up inside the machine to finally become the the director of the IMF, the most powerful lending mechanism in the world, or at least it was for most of the past 70 years. I don't know about nowadays. I don't think anyone really believes in it. Anymore. Not anymore. Um, but to say, oh, we you know, who would have thought that by trying to print money, um, the there's all of these unintended consequences like inflation, like, I mean, a whole bunch of things that you didn't think about. You didn't put any of that money towards building up your industrial base again, that we lost over 50 years of atrophy. You didn't put any of that towards increasing the, the, the buying power of the dollar or of the Euro. And what um, uh, foreign minister Siluanov of, of Russia said in response, uh, again, just at the Eurasian economic forum uh, forum that happened on May 26th, was great because he was he was being asked, well, what do we do about the sanctions and the fact that we cannot even, as of uh, the 25th of May, we can't even uh, pay our, our sovereign debt repayments because the, the U.S. has said that would be involved, that would break sanction laws if we allowed Russia to pay their sovereign debt repayments. And what do we do? He was asked by a reporter and um, he said, well, look, first of all, you're, you're overstressing. It doesn't matter that much. The uh, and he said here literally the American and European currencies are toxic for us. What should we do with them? We are selling our own wealth, our gas, and he, you know, like Russia actually has an economy that is increasingly premised around real commodities, right? Dude, he says while getting toxic candy wrappers, <laughs> who needs them? And that's true. Wow, it's, bro, you know what's happening here? 
it's toxic candy wrappers. Yo, Matt, you know what's happening here, man? This is kind of blowing my mind away. It just it just exploded in my brain like a bright light. For the first time in history, we are. I mean, think about it. Fiat currencies have been printed and overblown to such a toxic level globally that they're completely worthless. <clears throat> we are witnessing for the first time ever Gershom's law. Okay. Where you know it, it, Gershom's law is like it, it's you know good species or good good money chases out bad money so to speak right, mm. and in this case we're or or money goes where it's treated well is another aspect of Gershom's mm. law, but in this case we are seeing Gershom's law in effect where the finished raw material or the good or the service or the actual resource itself is driving out the toxic currency. It's driving it out. This is crazy. In other words, if I could, if, right. if I could put in my mind, picture, if you will, the, the hydrocarbon like oil, and it's repelling the dollar. The resource is repelling the fiat. Mm -hmm. the, therefore, mm -hmm. the fiat is not chasing the resource. That means the country that is, that is putting forth this fiat via edict is going to be drowning in it tenfold. Because there's nothing for this fiat to chase. Mm -hmm. We're witnessing Grisham's law as applied to raw materials chasing out fiat currencies. You should write something on that, D. Holy I smokes. I should. Yeah, that, that's a great that, – that idea is gold. Yeah, I've never seen that treated. That, yeah. do, do it. Dude, I'll, 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 pay, I'll pay yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'll, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll write it. I'll, I'll send it over to you. You can post it on, 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 your, on your site as yes. well. Yes, cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's really reality and – uh, coming into head-on conflict with an abstract fake reality, this perception, right? This illusion that we were told is reality, um, which has no coherence with the real physical space-time that human beings have evolved, have operated in, um, have to interface with just as a matter of course, you know? Like, we might idealize how I could, uh, you know, um, live off of uh, no food. You know, I might come up with a formula that looks good and, and could explain how I could avoid eating food for the next, you know, several years and, and save all my money and buy a nicer house. But the reality is when you try to act according to that formula, you'll discover pretty quickly how hungry and starving you and your family are actually getting. And you'll have to recalibrate according to reality and its physical constraints, right? Um, this is sort of what's happening right now. The oligarchy has been permitted to in, live in a world that hasn't really put their fake ideas of the new world rules-based order in on, to a test. And now it's happening. Um, and that's why I, I thought it was, it's just so good to look at that Eurasian uh, summit of March 26th, 27th. And I uh, just pulled out a, a couple of quotes by Putin and one by Glaziev that I thought were just such a breath of fresh air in the context of this. Um, hold on, so let me just quickly do this because I, I think as a counterpoint to the insanity um which i have you know we i think we we exploited the insanity enough now we got to look at something a little bit more sane um oh wait it's not why is my powerpoint not showing up when i do a, a share screen on here Come on, window share. <clears throat> oh okay i'll just read it okay never mind. it's not showing up really i i, I have it open on my my desktop it's actually open uh, the PowerPoint, but it's only three slides. It doesn't matter. So here, I'll just I'll just read it. So um, in his speech, Putin um, iterated. This is the, the Putin who we're told is on the verge of death, who's sickly. And uh, that's what the CFR ideologues promise us is actually <laughs> happening behind the scenes. So he gives several speeches every single day. day. Yeah. Um, says, uh, I would like to say the following. It would be no exaggeration to say that Greater Eurasia is a big civilizational project. The main idea is to create a common space for equitable cooperation for regional organizations. The Greater Eurasian Partnership is designed to change the political and economic architecture and guarantee stability and prosperity on the entire continent, naturally taking account of the diverse de development models, cultures, and traditions of all nations. Now, that, first of all, as... That's actually how he ends the speech. It's a, it's a beautiful speech, and it should be read in full. Um, the Saker picked up, picked it up. You can get it on Taz as well. Um, but this is the guiding spirit of everything which is in opposition to the rules-based international order. And ironically, this is very much in coherence with the type of system that Roosevelt had set up when the the foundation of the United Nations was created. And anybody who just has takes the time 
the five minutes to read the opening articles of the UN Charter will very clearly understand why it is that Putin and Xi Jinping always cite the UN Charter as the go-to point when they're dealing with these insane nut jobs pushing for world government. And this confuses a lot of people who are too lazy to actually read the UN Charter or to study the battles between FDR and the anti-republic or the anti-imperialists versus uh, Churchill, Keynes, and the Malthusian depopulation crowd who are pushing for a, a closed system onto the world after the Hitler machine was put down. If you actually study any of that history, you come to very quickly see that there was a future that was about to blossom to be born of, of, of that was premised on natural law and cooperation, right? Like this, it was an anti-Darwinian idea of political economy on a global level with an international new deal, the extension of credit through things like the World Bank, which were supposed to be something very different. The IMF was supposed to be something very different under people like Henry Dexter White, uh, Harry Dexter White and Roosevelt and, and Wallace, it, that didn't happen. These people either died, like Dexter White died after three years as, as IMF, the only humanist IMF managing director that I've ever, director that I've ever seen. Um, and this whole thing was subverted and the closed system was brought back into play. But all that to say, the UN charter enshrines the respect of the sovereignty of nation states. In it's, it, it's very clearly enshrined as the foundation upon which international law should be based because it's premised around the idea that we have to maintain the diversity and the, the developmental pathways of each individual civilization and culture and nation state, while at the same time balancing that with a harmony of interest, of common interest, because we all have, you know, as human beings, that should be the first law of economics that they teach in high school. Um, rather than monetary theories, that we're all going to die, number one, right? We're all mortal. We're the only species that seems to be self-aware at an early age of our mortality. We can thus have a sense of shaping identity according to folly or wisdom and making choices accordingly, right? Free will. And the idea of um, like how we are able to feed ourselves and improve the quality of production over time through creativity that those are like fundamental elementary laws of, ec of economy that should precede any type of theory of mon monetary value that comes later. Every type of, of monetary theory should be obedient to that fact of universal principle that makes us all, you know, that this is why we have equality. It's not we're physically equal. We're all different, but we all have an equal equal qualities of being able to self-perfect. We all have access to conscience to varying degrees. We have reason that we can make better or make worse according to decisions, right? So all that to say, um, the, the Greater Eurasian Partnership as a civilizational project is a very important idea, which is open. It is even now open to the uh, membership or at least participation of nations that are acting like basket case idiots in the West. There's still an open invitation to work on big projects together. Uh, Putin even made it very clear that I, I really enjoyed this part where he pokes fun at those who are obsessed with luxury goods. When they talk about production, they're thinking about consumer goods um, that makes you a lot of money maybe, but it's not the foundation upon which a sovereign nation can be built. And he gets across what is the actual foundation for the Eurasian partnership. And especially this, this comes in alignment with his Northern vision, his greater uh, Siberian development strategy, right? This is all tied to the, uh, the the Polar Silk Road, which involves creating new science cities, new corridors. Russia is the most, I mean, it has like three times the resources of, of the United States, but it's, a lot of it is underdeveloped. So he gets across like what is going to be the premise around which the coming centuries even are, are going to be based economically. And he says these relate issues related to large block assemblies and so on. And, and this is regarding the, the need to create new markets because if you can't export to your former uh, partners who are now sanctioning you, how are you going to recalibrate? And he's like, yeah, we might have a little bit of pain, but this is an advantage. It's a, it's a virtue that this is happening now. It's, it's, a, it's good in a sense, because now we can take advantage of this by creating, doing what we should have been doing this whole time, uh, creating indigenous um, sovereign marketplaces and new foundations like Russia uh, has now India and, chi India and China have become the primary purchasers of uh, Russian um, oil. So, and and they're buying it at a discount of something like 25% discount compared to what the West would be buying um, because they're willing to pay in rubles and they're, they're allies. They have a common strategy. So 
And but it won't just be exports to the Eurasian markets as well. It'll also be the creation of new markets inside of Russia that are desperately overdue. So he goes and says these issues related to large block assemblies and so on. It took so much effort to increase localization within the country, in our economy, in the real sectors of the economy, in industry. And even then, we did not agree on key issues in many respects. Actually, import substitution was was necessary to create not just assembly shops, but also engineering centers and research centers. This inevitably for any country that wants to increase its economic, financial, and ultimately political sovereignty, sovereignty is inevitable. So again, if you're going to have political sovereignty in a true sense, you have to have economic and financial sovereignty, but to have those means you have to have capital intensive means of production. The things that the U.S. has destroyed its machine tool capacity in, in Michigan, Philadelphia, even New York and California. America was once the leader of, of being able to produce machine tools, machines that could make machines, right? The, this capacity was lost in favor of becoming a consumer market that could only focus on consumer goods. That's what the fight over China was about too, right? In uh, in the 1980s, David Rockefeller and the Trilateral Commission, they were going to China saying, okay, if you want to, and Kissinger, frankly, that was what the Kissinger model was based on in China was to say, you can make more money by just having sweatshop factories. You will focus on just that on your coasts. You will not develop your internal land. You will not have big infrastructure. You'll not do any of those things. We'll, you'll, we'll, we'll flood your elites with money. Your poor will stay poor, but not so poor that they can't, that they'll die. They'll just stay poor enough. Kind of like, uh, you know, Oliver, um, the tale of two cities, right? Uh, Charles Dickens. Yep. It'll be like London, 19, 1840s industrial level poverty, right? That'll be your, <laughs> that'll be your forever model, which is <laughs> itself just waiting for a proletariat uprising again, because that's going to enslave people economically to a point that they eventually suffocate to the point that they overthrow the order. And then you can get your end of history, uh, you know, type of solution, a Hegelian solution, kind of like what Hegel was the teacher of Marx after all. Um, that's what they're trying to push inside of the USA by pushing the Americans, pushing the Canadians, pushing the Europeans to a point where they, they cannot feed their families. They're being, you know, yeah. we, we've lost two years of life expectancy under, under a pandemic mm. and drug, uh, overdoses, death overdoses by drugs is at historic highs, never before seen, uh, crimes. I mean, uh, uh, violent crimes. Uh, not just these couple of shootings that are being highly publicized, but across the board, we have greater violence today and and death by violence inside of the USA than than ever before. So this is all a consequence of a, an economic policy that had us abandon our former economic sovereignty. And, we, you know, under Green New Deal policies, this is going to crush like 80 percent of the people who are already barely eking by because if you might you might make work by building windmills and solar panels. But once that those projects are done and you've covered solar panels and windmills all over the USA and Canada and Europe, you're done. There's nothing left you can do because these forms of energy, keep in mind, they're going to shut down. They want to shut down hydrocarbons. They want to shut down nuclear. They're, they've done a pretty good job so far. That's what's accelerating. Well, all of a sudden, if you get everybody just reliant on windmills and solar panels, once you build them, this Green New Deal infrastructure... You don't have the energy available to you at this point to sustain high energy intensive industry that are needed to support your, you know, I mean, I would imagine people should expect to live uh, mm -hmm. a, a, a long life till 79, 80. They shouldn't be expecting to live even longer at a, at a certain high uh, quality. That's going to be gone. You won't be able to even make a windmill with a windmill. And all, how are you going to be able to? maintain maybe you'll have to replenish these because solar panels they you know you have to throw them away usually after 20 years that means you're gonna have to mine a lot of rare earths well i mean okay you got a lot of protected land in africa that these so-called green companies at, the, at davos are more than happy to uh, to access um they'll they'll be nominally uh utilizing protected land because as biden says 30 percent of the world's surface area is is supposed to be uh protected land but with new economic indi green indices that are now being floated in, in Wall Street, you will be able, if you have enough money, to buy rights to extract still wealth from these eco these protected ecosystems, just like Hitler did, right? When when he was he had Hermann Goering 
working as his conservation minister of forestry, uh, protecting native uh, plant life and forests that are that were Germanic, and even going out of their way to putting millions of, of dollars in value to paying people. They made jobs in the, thir- in the 1930s, the Nazis. They paid people to extract foreign species of plants, to cut down foreign species of trees that were not pure Germanic. Um, this is before he started really killing people. And uh, and what was discovered afterwards was that a big chunk of the, the nature reserves actually were zones of militarization where they were preparing the war machine, um, cutting down big swaths of, of, of trees and, and forest um, where people weren't really paying attention that was then deployed in uh, Austria and then Czechoslovakia and then Poland and, and then Barbarossa and beyond. So, you know, like you're, you're dealing with a very similar ideology. And, uh, and when you, again, you just look at this greater Eurasian partnership, you look at people like Glaziev, who also gave a beautiful speech where he, you know, made the point that when you look at the India, China, Russia alliance, the growing BRICS, which is soon going to have uh, Argentina as a member, maybe even Saudi Arabia, as insane as that sounds, but that they even might, might join because they're dispen- they're exposable, expos- expendable, sorry. Um, <clears throat> as well as the ASEAN nations, as well as, you know, uh, the, the China greater, uh, Eurasian economic union, um, partnership that he's also heading to create a new alternative financial system that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. He said that the, the economy today is becoming more and more humanitarian. He's obviously not talking about the rules-based order. We must admit that issues of humanitarian cooperation and culture are not given enough attention in our Eurasian construction. We are passionate about building a customs union discussing customs tariffs, customs, and technical regulation, and forming a common labor market. And at the same time, we constantly face problems of people's correct perception of the idea of Eurasianism. This is pure American system stuff. This is how Alexander Hamilton was able to, this is how the U.S. was able to survive its first 20 precarious years, was by creating, you know, (laughs) it went from 1783 and the Articles of Confederation with 13 colonies that were totally in debt, had no real industry, that were backwater, they were all agrarian, and fighting amongst each other for basic little mini survival, not even having free trade amongst themselves. With Hamilton's and, and Ben Franklin's approach, they were able to then consolidate all of that, that the 13 unpayable debts that were bankrupting, the, 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 everything was bankrupt. And they, they federalized it into a new debt that capitalized a new type of bank that had never been seen before. It had elements of a, of a British model um, central bank, elements on the surface, but only as a mechanism. In principle, the National Bank of the United States, and I'm saying this now because there's, shit, there's stuff going viral online, slandering Hamilton and trying to champion slave, slave owner uh, Jefferson who was the biggest slave owner in Virginia, who didn't even let his slaves go free after he died in his will. That guy, that guy's being celebrated as the great hero of America by people like, I mean, Robert Malone seems like a good guy, but he's actually put out articles this week that are going viral saying uh, what an evil guy, what a Rothschild stooge Hamilton was. Um, and what a great guy Jefferson was that we should role model ourselves, that mm. we should use as role model. And it's like, well, what Hamilton did is what Glaziev is talking about here. He, that's why America survived and was able to not just survive by then um, creating a, a common um, basis for a protective tariff, right? A, 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 an actual customs tariff with the power to collect the tariff as well as taxation by a federal government. But that new national bank was then able to then reissue with its new capitalization uh, loans towards building things like the Erie Canal, all of these internal improvements and the effects and giving loans to farmers and giving loans to industrialists. And the effect of that was that the U.S. increased its population fourfold within the first 40 years of this policy, the first and second national bank, despite it being often run by deep state infiltrators despite it being run by corrupt assholes who wanted to destroy it from within, despite all of that, and despite the War of 1812, and despite uh, Alexander Hamilton's assassination um, by, you know, <laughs> I mean, they call it, they say, I shouldn't say assassination, he died in a duel. But, I mean, it really was, when you look at the details, the fact was he was using the same guns that killed his son two years earlier at the same location in New Jersey by a guy who was uh, an Aaron Burr asset. 
um, Aaron Burr, who was caught t- three times trying to break up the union. Um, this is the same Aaron Burr that founded the first bank of Manhattan that created the basis of Wall Street that later on uh, brought his his asset, Andrew Jackson, into play and became his earliest sponsor in 1815 to run for the presidency. Took him another 15 years to make it happen, who finally killed Alexander Hamilton's second national bank. But this is how America was able to survive and thrive. Despite a, the population increased fourfold, it became it, an, it outproduced Great Britain in almost every industrial metric you could imagine by 1845-50. Um, this got even bigger by when Lincoln revived it after 30 years of it being destroyed and America going into a uh, you know a self-decaying process of of uh, self-mutilation after 1840. Lincoln revived that with the greenbacks. He revived it with industrial development. That was a Hamiltonian policy. It was again revived by McKinley, but not fully because McKinley also died. It was again revived or Warren Harding was kind of in a piecemeal way reviving it again, but he had a lot going against them. Um, Roosevelt was the first person to really revive it in a thorough, robust way a century after Hamilton was killed, over 120 years after that. And to this very day, that's what JFK tried to revive and he was stopped. That's what Trump, I think, was moving towards actually reviving. When you look at his economic orientation, especially with a Russia-China collaborative uh, outlook, that was the and that is the basis upon which any type of viable fight, if there's going to be a movement inside of the USA with the better Republicans who are going to be able to organize themselves, it's because they become very clear on these basic facts of their own history and recognize how it applies to today's global configuration. Because the only game in town worth working with is the open system of Russia, China, India, and other countries that want a future, these civilizational forces that want ideally to find something sane that they could work with with the West, with the USA. And if so, I mean, I I interface with a lot of good Republican people. Same thing for Canadians. There's a lot of good, uh, good hearted, good minded Canadians who don't want a great reset. They're very confused about the nature of Russia, of China, of their own, you know, history, how the British have controlled Canada in various ways, how how Canada has at various times broken free of its closed system Malthusian conditioning and achieved open system economic policies. Um, they they need to know about this history. They need to know about what what America did at those same periods. So I just say, you know, we're at, we're at this moment of change where we're, we are caught between two systems. One system is going to win out. They're not going to coexist forever. Yep. yep. And uh, we have a limited amount of time. So hopefully the uh, the humans win. <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope, Matthew. Uh, very very well said, and I uh, want to thank you for another uh, great conversation. Uh, we had to check out a little bit early, had uh, a yeah. family appointment to to get to. So, uh, but we will be back next week. And again, do us a favor if you haven't done so yet, jump over, check out Matthew's Substack, subscribe. Uh, also, check out the great work he does over at the Canadian Patriot Review, as well as the Rising Tide Foundation. So. Uh, Matthew, thank you once again, and I'm confident we will uh, be chatting hopefully next week sometime. God bless. All right. right. Thank you. See ya. All right. Good stuff, man. I was sweating profusely, wasn't I? Did it look bad? No, not at all. Not at all. My my house is so...